What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favalli and Andy Bailey. And we are moving on in our preseason projections to what might be the most jumbled up division of them all. It's the Northwest Division within the Western Conference, home of the Oklahoma City Thunder and no longer Kevin Durant, home of the Portland Trailblazers, the Utah Jazz, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and the Denver Nuggets. Uh, before we jump into the records, I just want to get off my chest that I hate that this division is called the Northwest because Oklahoma City is not in the Northwest. And I know that that's because they used to be in Seattle. But can we just change the name already? To what? I have no idea. Like I, something I, creative. They need, to, uh, they need to reorganize where teams are in divisions. That's what I've always thought. Or just get rid of them in general. Yeah, I was about yeah, to say. There you go. Okay, that could help. Division. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $2084 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. I like but either way, like it's though, dumb. even though they're like, not very heated, but whatever. Yeah, but like Oklahoma City is a Northwest team. And Memphis is a Southwest team. I hate all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there. Um, so where do we start with this division? With all these other ones, we've been uh, we've been kind of giving our order as we go through the show. 
and we don't prep each other with our order, so it's kind of a surprise. We prepped each other a little bit on this one, just because I think all three of us agree that it's borderline impossible to try and pick a one through five standings for this division. Um, is there is there any of us who feels confident enough to jump in there and start and say, this is the team I have fifth? Oh, my God. No. No. <laughs> not even remotely. Okay. Well, I'm not we, I'm not. Should we go backwards either, and stall? Well, may, yeah, maybe we could do that. We could switch up the order. Yeah, let's uh, start at the top on this one. Okay. Because I think there's a consensus there, right? We're, we're totally not so. stalling, though. Let's make that clear to our list. Our no, we know what we're talking about. Like, <laughs> all of us are confident in everything we're saying. <laughs> Just not where it will end where? up. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, so I think we have Utah as a consensus number one, right? Just to please you, but yeah. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, uh, anybody want to jump in on why? Besides me, because like Adam with the Hawks preview, I could go on for a while. I, it seems so simple to me, but when they had Rodney Hood, Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors, and Gordon Hayward on the floor last year, they played like a top five NBA team. Now they're going to just throw George Hill on top of that, and they also have extra depth. I, I don't know how you look at this team and don't see 50 wins. We're close to 50 wins. They just look like they've improved that much by just making these small changes because they were already that good. And we might be talking about a playoff team from last year if they didn't deal with so many injuries. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what there's not to love about this team. Like, It seems like they check all the boxes now that they've added George Hill, now that they've brought Joe Johnson in to serve as a sixth man, now that Dante Exum is going to be healthy. Trey Lyles looked fantastic in the in the. Was small. anyone else just like dead wrong on him and didn't even see any of what he did coming? I was so low on the Jazz picking Trey Lyles, and he turned out to be one of the best rookies. I was, I was floored. I was wrong about yeah, him too. Yeah, I was definitely pleasantly surprised. I think the biggest the biggest thing he did that I just didn't expect was being able to put the ball on the floor. I didn't like see that was that huge. Come. Even his shooting was just so much better than I thought it would be. Absolutely. So but yeah, they, like you look up and down this roster and everything looks good. I mean, George Hill is a great spot up point guard, and he's going to play on a team where he might not need to handle the ball as much. He brings even more defense to this team. There's depth. There's guys getting better. I think the only knock against them is that they might not have enough floor spacing in the front court if Derek Favors can't continue to improve his, his mid-range. So I, I tend to agree with you, Adam, about probably wanting some more floor spacing in that four spot instead of Derek Favors, and I think a lot of fans and writers uh, who, who follow the Jazz want that too. And Trey Lyles is, I mean, he's an option there, of course. But surprisingly, Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert actually had a net rating of 4.2 when they shared the floor uh, last season. And, and Utah's overall net rating was 1.6. So they actually played a lot better when those two shared the floor. I think a lot of that, you would, you would think a lot of that has to do with defense, but it was actually their offensive rating that spiked when those two were on the floor. I don't, I don't really know specifically how Quinn Snyder was able to make that work, but he was. Um, but in the long term, I agree with you that it, it makes more sense in today's NBA to be able to field a lineup that has a shooter next to Gobert. And that's that's one of the things that's so cool about this roster to me is Dennis Lindsay has constructed it in a way that there's there's a ton of different ways that you can make that happen. Trey Lyles can play next to him. Uh, they've talked about Joe Johnson playing some four like he did with Miami last season. Hayward, Ingles, I mean, 
there's so many different things that they can do where they they have Gobert as the anchor defensively, and they just surround him with shooting and playmaking, and it's it's really exciting to see what that's going to end up looking like. Yeah, I think another thing I love here is that this team already looked pretty strong last year with Shelvin Mack at point guard. You know, as soon as he was acquired from the Hawks, all of a sudden their offense starts to run a little bit more smoothly. Now you have like a legitimate starting point guard in George Hill, who I think was one of the more underrated guys at his position while he was with the Pacers. I mean, a guy who can contribute on both ends and can capably run the show. I think that adds a new element. It seems like they're they're better stocked to withstand any injuries that may happen. So I'm all on board on this bandwagon here. Their their second unit is going to be flames, right? Oh yeah, like you just that could be a starting lineup on some teams, where you have what it's Johnson, Dial, Lyles, um, Exum, probably Exum, and then Burks. Yeah, or even Mac instead of Exum if he's taking a while to develop. And Howell Nito. Neto. Like, he's great, too. That's yeah. the interesting thing about their bench is last year they had guys go down and it really hurt them. Now the third string includes some pretty capable guys like Jeff Withy, Joe Ingles, Howell Neto. These guys are all – I mean, they're not great. You don't want them to be thrust into 25 to 30 minutes a game. But if that's your like backup to your backup, your contingency in case of injuries, you're in really good shape. Yeah. Do we think Alec Burks can still help this team? That's that's a big question. I'll, I'll, I'll let Adam uh, respond with his answer first. I think he's can if uh, he can if he's healthy. I don't know how healthy he's going to be because he, it seems like he's still recovering from the knee and ankle problems, but. He he at least fills a variety of roles, even if he's not great at any of them. You know, he can he can function as a ball handling wing. He can he can play off the ball. He can provide a little bit of defense. He doesn't do anything particularly well. But I think if you're using him as a stopgap option, whether it's to get some guys rest during a game or maybe a guy's injured for a couple contests, I think that that helps you a little bit. But he shouldn't play a huge ro- uh, role in the rotation by any means. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Um... The inter- one interesting thing about Burks is last year his his best minutes, and they were pretty limited. I think there was maybe like two hundred of them before he got hurt. But his best minutes were as the point guard, um, which is a problem on this roster because now you have George Hill, Dante Exum, Shelvin Mack, and Howell Neto. So you can't really you can't really go with that experiment again, even though it looked good last year. And the other thing about Burks, um, I mean, there's there are situations where Joe Ingles makes more sense than him as a rotation guy for this team. And that's not to say Joe Ingles is better. Cause I think Burks is clearly the more gifted and more talented player, but Joe Ingles, I think is better at understanding role. Uh, he's better at understanding position on defense. He's a ball mover. Um, just a really high IQ guy. Who's more of a complimentary piece. Whereas Burks is, he has the mindset of sort of a take-over-the-game scorer um, when maybe he should be more of a complimentary piece. And can we also just mention Jeff Withy? Because talk about Withy. a great piece for depth. I mean, an awesome rim protector, a pretty good all-around defender. He shot 42% on, on jumpers from outside of 10 feet last year. He can finish around the rim. Like He's, he's going to be a great piece in small minutes again. Like, the depth on this team is incredible. Yeah, one of my campaigns like on social media all last season was play Jeff Withy more. And I might I might be on that again this season, but it's even 
it's even harder to find minutes for him now because I think there's going to be a lot of times where Boris Diaw is sort of the backup five, uh, a playmaking stretch five. So it's like it, it's kind of hard to see him getting on the floor this season, but it goes back to what I was saying earlier. That's like when that when a guy that good is your third string center, there's some serious depth there. Yeah. It's almost a problem. I you just look yeah. at this roster, there's so many different like Andy said before, lineup combinations you can run with small and traditional, you can go with all wing type lineups even. Uh I I don't necessarily Enver Quinn Snyder. We say these are good problems to have. But it'll be interesting to see how he really pins down the rotation by the, let's say, quarter mark of the season, just because there's so much talent at so many different spots, and there are so many different ways that this team can play. Um, I have one more nugget on this team before we move on, and or I mean, we could dwell on them the whole time if it was up to <laughs> me. But um, so I was on a podcast with the play-by-play guy for the jazz radio team the other day. And he's, he's been going to the jazz sort of open gym stuff that they have before training camp opens. And the word around there is that Gordon Hayward is bigger again. So that was, that was the big story on him last summer is that he showed up all muscular and just looked more athletic and stronger. And I guess that's happening again. (laughs) I'm way more curious about what his hairstyle is though. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I think he's, um, He's going to be in a bunch of articles about like best hairstyles in the NBA again, which I'm sure he relishes. Oh, he has to. <laughs> well, what do we have wins for this team at, since we like to go through that for every, every one we do? I, this is going to sound crazy to people who, don't, like, who didn't really follow this offseason and just saw the Jazz as a 40-win team that missed the playoffs last year, but I think a conservative estimate is 50, which is what I'm going to say. I like 52, maybe the 53 range for this team. Uh, this could be a division that takes wins away from each other, of course. Uh, but the Jazz just look so good on paper. And they were even good for big parts of last year. And I think they're even more threatening this season in part because people now know that, hey, maybe they could be the biggest threat to the Warriors just because of the way they play. And now you have guys who have been on the roster for two years and have grown into this system with Schneider. Um, I, I could see them very easily exceeding 52 or 53. And I'm with Andy. I think 50 is the conservative bet for them. I think it's basically always a bad idea to disagree with Dan. I'm right on board with 52 to 53 wins for this team. If I had to err on either side, I think I'd have them going a little higher. It wouldn't shock me if they got to 54 or 55 just because they can withstand those injuries because they do have so much talent that's still getting better. But I think 52, 53 is the safe bet. Let me um, throw something at you guys. The year before the Hawks won 60, they were 38 and 44. Um, Is there any chance there's that kind of a breakout for them? It's got to be... I think something different would need to happen on the offensive end for them. Like they could be kind of efficient and they weren't too inefficient last year, but they might need to play a little bit faster or run a lot more small ball combinations because I don't think their style will work against every team. So I'm interested to see how they incorporate all this new versatility. And I'm not sure if there will be some sort of a learning curve there just because there are some new pieces, especially off the bench and you're also going to be a little bit more reliant on a guy like Dante Exum who doesn't have a lot of experience. Again, 
just listen to what Dan says. <laughs> yeah, it, I, think, I, mean, I think it's possible, it? but it's like like I said already, I think I would err on the side of caution and, and be around 50. What were you going to say, Dan? Is, what probably works in their favor is outside of the top three seeds in the West, when's the last time that the final five have been so wide open? Like I know there's a lot of what we think good mediocre teams, and we're going to get to a few of those in this division, but it seems like for the longest time, one through five has been set. But now you don't know what's going to happen with the Grizzlies' health. The Mavericks are finally on the wrong side of their mediocrity, we think. So it works for the Jazz that we have them projected, or most people have them projected inside the top four, but there's just so much wide openness in that group after the top three that maybe they could have that type of um, win total. Yeah, I think that's a good point. There's going to be, not that the West is that much worse, but I, I agree with you that it is a, it's a lot harder to forecast after that. So maybe they can pick off some wins from that group that they couldn't have in years past. You said it better than I did. <laughs> um, and you're always right, so it's okay. Yeah. Adam's really on Dan today. I like it. Yeah, am I about to get some bad news from you guys? Am I being uh, voted out of Hardwood Knox and you're buttering no, I, me up? I, I think it's just the hair today. Like I'm, I'm really digging this style. Oh, the uh, still need to work out, ruffled out of bed style. It's nice. Yeah, I agree. Pulling it off. So uh, I think that wraps up the Jazz. Do, who do we have finishing second? I think this one's probably a consensus too. Yeah, I, I think, think speaking was, of hair, it's got to be Myers Leonard and the Trailblazers, right? <laughs> Myers Leonard and the Trailblazers, really? <laughs> I just wanted to force the segue. Come on. It is his team, for sure. I guess we could say Alan Crabb and his hair and the Trailblazers. Like, that would work, I think too. that would have been more appropriate, actually, yeah. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> yeah, it you know, definitely got to be the... Legit. Yeah, it's, not, it's, it's real nice. He's one of the uh, pioneers of that frosted mohawk. Him and Odell. <laughs> we all have them at second, right? The Blazers? Yeah. yeah. Um, let's start with Evan Turner, because a lot of people did not like that move. I kind of did. I, I'm, I wonder not. what you guys think about it. Here's my thoughts, and I think I remember going a little bit back and forth with this uh, with Adam when he first signed. It just seems like so much money. So there's that initial sticker shock, and also – I don't think people, and this isn't a shot at Adam, I just don't think people watch enough what Evan Turner can do. He's going to be very valuable to this team on defense. I'm actually concerned how the Celtics are going to perform defensively without him. And you look at how they can use him on offense where you just run C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard, Alan Crabb off the ball, and he can be that primary ball carrier, not unlike the way the Warriors use Draymond Green. Turner doesn't have the jump shot that Draymond Green has developed, but guys do seem to shoot better from three-point land whenever they go to Portland. I know uh, Terry Stott said that when they first got Turner, but if you use him on the ball, he's good coming around screens. He has great vision. I'm really anxious to see what he can do with all these shooters around him, which he didn't really have in Boston, not these above-average guys. So I think he can work on the offensive end, and then it's not hard to envision him working on the defensive end because he fills that need as a guy who can defend a bunch of positions for the Blazers. I'm conditionally concerned about this acquisition. If the Blazers are going to throw him in the starting lineup with Lillard and McCollum, 
I don't love it because I think it takes away from what Alan Crabb can do. And all of a sudden you're playing three guys who are at their best with the ball in their hands, which doesn't really work. I mean, I'm not sure what Turner brings to the table if he's playing next to Lillard, who's always going to control the ball. If they're willing to use him as a sixth man and he's willing to accept that role like he did in Boston, I love it because he can bring a lot to the second unit. He can play with either one of those guards. I just don't want to see him on the court with both of them at the same time. I don't think he's a part of their crunch time lineup for that reason. I actually like it most as a starting lineup, and I'm going to pick out something that Dan said. He he mentioned briefly the the comparison to Draymond Green, Stephen Curry, and Clay Thompson. Um, to me, it's a lot like the Stephen Curry, Damian Lillard, comparisons that happened a lot last year they're similar in terms of style just not effectiveness and I think that could be I think that this trio could be similar in that same way so they could do a lot of the same things that Green and Thompson and Curry did um, from a stylistic standpoint I wouldn't expect them to be as effective obviously but just the idea of having that sort of um, that warrior's light attack is is now more possible with Turner than it was before they got him I'm just not so sure that those are comparable players because Green wasn't a guy who was going to handle the ball for sustained periods of time. He was the the outlet guy who was going to catch it when they doubled and drive down the lane and make another pass. He wasn't controlling possessions, and Turner controls possessions. It's not like it's going to be a free-flowing ball movement offense. I, I'm not sure that those are, are, are two similar players at all. Is it crazy to think that Stotts can get him to do that, though? Because Portland was pretty good at, at moving no, the ball last year. If he's willing to do that. But have we really seen any indication that he is or that he's good in that role? I guess that's fair. I would just, I, I'm, I'm relying pretty heavily on what Terry Stotts has been able to do as a coach of the Blazers. So that's, I think that's a fair point. But um, I, just, I just see it working. I, I know that Damian Leather is a great pull-up shooter. Um, but as is the case with most guys they're still a little bit better off the catch. So a few more catch-and-shoot opportunities for him each game, a few more catch-and-shoot opportunities for, for C.J. McCollum. Um, even if, if both of those guys' efficiency goes up marginally, um, I think you're looking at a pretty potent offense. I'm trying to look up some touch numbers for these two guys real fast just to see if see how different they are. Well, the other thing so, is, though, is – what they could do reverse what the Warriors do with Andre Godalo, where he comes off the bench and he spends most of his time with the starters. You can probably start Evan Turner, but he could spend most of his time away from the Lillard and McCollum combination, where maybe he's only playing yeah. with one of them, which is a lot easier uh, to work with if yeah, you're you worried about everyone getting the right amount of touches. So just to reinforce the point that, that Draymond and Turner are different, um, sport view data says that that Green had 53.3 front court touches per game and only 2.6 uh, minutes of possession per game, as opposed to Turner, who had 45.6 touches and 3.4 minutes of possession. Yeah, so there would definitely have to be an adjustment there. That's a fair yeah. point. Um, I I'm so glad that worked in my favor. The, the, the Celtics didn't like run Turner off a ton of stuff slashing toward the basket last year, though, because they very deliberately put Isaiah Thomas off the ball whenever Turner was on the floor. Um, maybe Portland can do more of that. Again, he doesn't have the jump shot, but he's not a bad finisher around the rim. And with his size, you can see him streaking toward the basket. The other thing to Andy's point, and I had looked this up when I was writing something, Isaiah Thomas averaged more points per 36 minutes with 
Evan Turner on the floor. His efficiency was a little bit better. So where Andy's saying if, if the efficiency of McCollum and Lillard can climb because they're getting easier looks, then you're just going to be able to make it work. And I think Adam's right that you can't compare Turner and Draymond Green. I'm just saying as a blueprint to where sometimes for possessions at a time or for quarters at a time where Green is the primary ball handler, you can do that with Evan Turner because you have these guys in your pro- other primary ball handlers who also work well as spot-up shooters. I think another thing that works in favor of this combination working is that McCollum finished in the 83.2 percentile for spot-up shooting last season, and Lillard was 94.6 percentile. So they're both great in that role. They just didn't do it a lot. I mean, if you look at the frequency of those plays, it's really depressed. So I still don't want to see all three of them together. I think that it can absolutely work with one at a time or in small doses. But either way, I I think this is clearly the second-best team in the division. Yeah. One more Here. point on on that. This goes to the stat that Adam just shared too um, on spot up shooting. So catch and shoots. Um, McCollum took four a game at a sixty four effective field goal percentage. Um, Lillard took three a game at just under sixty, and then on pull ups, McCollum took over eight a game at less than fifty effective field goal percentage. And Lillard took nine a game on about 46%. So if you replace one or two of those dribble pull-ups for those guys with one or two catch-and-shoots, you're looking at one or two points better on offensive rating, which can go a long way in the NBA over the course of 82 games. If, if they don't start Turner, they have to start Alan Crabb, right? Like, Are we going to see two $70 million guys come off the bench? I don't think that's think, ever happened before. <laughs> I think Crab would be the clear favorite to start in that situation. I think just about everything I've heard, I don't know if I've heard it specifically from the team, but just other media guys, is that Aminu is pretty much penciled in at the four, which means they yeah. got to have another wing in there. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's either Crab or, or Turner. And I'm I'm actually fine with Crab too in that role. I think he works for a lot of reasons too. Well, they could also, they could technically just stick with the lineup they had last year and go Harkless as well. Did they do that? Did Harkless just get paid too? Yeah, forty-four million or forty, whatever it was. But I, I I would start. It would have to be Turner or Crab for me. I like the idea of seeing Turner play more four, but I guess Amanu and him could be interchangeable in theory on defense. So I, I think it would be Evan Turner. I remember reading something that said he was, that said he was told he would be given a legitimate opportunity to start. And I'm not sure when you look at Crab or Harkless, I'm not sure who would actually beat him out for that last starting spot. I don't think it would be Harkless. Maybe it's Crab just because he's used to playing more off the ball. But I don't think you paid him $70 million to come off your bench. I have one more question on Turner. And I agree with what you just said, um, Dan. It got me thinking, is there any chance Turner leads them in assists and not Lillard? Or is no. Lillard still going to be that ball dominant? I think he's still going to be that ball dominant. Because, I mean, I feel he like there's a world where assists, Turner could average like five and a half and Lillard could be like just over five maybe. I mean, how many how many non-point guards last year led their team in assists? It was Draymond, Draymond. LeBron, and, and James Harden, right? Did Yeah, I'm trying to think. Did I mean, Hayward think lead the Jazz? Or was that a previous year? Depends on if Shelvin Mack qualified. Oh yeah, that's a good point. But I, I don't, I do not know. 
He uh, would have if not for in max twenty eight games. He was at five point three, but other yeah. than that, Hayward led. But but even if we include Hayward, like I don't think Turner's on that level. It is rare to for take sure. touches away from Damian Lillard. Brian Lillard was at almost seven assists a game last year. Yeah. You have to see that to appreciate quite a bit to give Turner a shot. Yeah, I think sure the only real takes... comparison there again is is Draymond Green and Steph Curry, but yeah. I don't want to make that one. Well, to me, like I'm willing to make that comparison. I think everybody just kind of knows that it's made with the caveat that like it's Draymond Steph light. Just like oh, everyone sure. understood sure. that Damian Lillard was Stephen Curry light. Like nobody was making an apples to apples comparison. Yeah, yeah. Of those two. That's fair. Turner did average five point seven assists per thirty six last year though, and seven point two the year before. The guy's a There's good no passer. Yeah. Um another positional battle that's kind of interesting to me. I don't maybe it's not a battle because I I think they'll probably go with Plumley, but I, I really like what Ed Davis does for them. Is there any chance he plays more minutes at the five? I would say maybe just because Plumley's gonna be a free agent next summer, and I'm not sure if you're the Blazers if you justify paying him when you just paid Leonard and you have Ed Davis. Uh, you, I guess you have Festus Azili, but he's injured all the time. I would like to see more of Ed Davis at the five. He was really good for them last year. They had him defending power forwards and everything. He was all over the place for them. There's no way this team makes it through the season without making a trade, right? Because if you just look at how much they have in the front court, you've got Noah Vonley, who might be appealing to some team because he's not going to play for Portland. You've got Myers Leonard. You've got Aminu penciled in at the four. Mo Harkless can play at the four. Turner can play at the four. And then the Plumlee-Davis-Azili conglomerate at the five. How old like, is There's Vonley? no way all those guys are staying on the roster, right? Yeah, it's hard. I, I've, I've heard a lot of talk about Plumlee because maybe he's the one that's coming up on free agency. I think Vonley is a good one to bring up too because he's still pretty young. Um, yeah, he just turned 21 in August. Yeah, I'm with you there. It seems like there's there's definitely a chance that a move is made. Well, isn't that one of the reasons to maybe like this team? I know everyone was sort of down on how much they spent to keep this core together and then just bring in Evan Turner, but there isn't a bad contract on their books right now. If you had to say who was their worst contract, maybe you go Alan Crabb just because he's so unproven in certain areas but even he it's easy to justify it's a guy who can defend a couple positions and shoot threes he doesn't turn the ball over much so if you're the blazers and you want to consolidate into one player it should be fairly easy if you start to bomb and you're not as good as you want to be it's fairly easy to sort of shift course and trade some of these guys for future assets i like the position they're in even if they're not going to be a team that contends for 55 wins or 50 wins and that's what their payroll should suggest that they should do they just have the ability to head in all these different directions because there isn't a bad deal on their ledger right now i totally agree so in terms of wins for this team though last year we thought they were going to be one of the worst teams in the nba (laughs) they were not and uh made the playoffs 144 games so this year they're going to win 80 right that seems low yeah that's a I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say high 40s. Can we get a concrete number, <laughs> Captain um, Hedge? Gosh, I'll say 48. Because I think I think there's a lot of reasons they could be better. So that that explains my wins increase. But I don't think it's a huge jump because I think there could also be a little bit of a regression to the mean on some of the guys that we thought would contribute to them being bad last year. 
here's my issue with them, and I, I think they're going to improve, but man, people have pointed this out. I don't remember the exact stretch, but they weren't good except for this like fraction of the season where they won a ton of games, and that essentially pushed them above 500. So I could easily see them being sort of lateral to where now they actually are a 44-win team because they've made these changes, because they have this internal growth. But I think they'll get to 46 or 47. Uh, and again, I, I'm just uncertain there because they didn't play most of last season like an above 500 team. So maybe that's what they finally are now. That's what they've bought. So I'll say 46 or 47. And I, I wanted to agree with Dan the entire podcast, but I can't on this one. <laughs> I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Andy's 48 wins. Um, I like the argument Dan just made, but. I look at this roster and I see a bunch of guys who are still getting better. Um, and, you know, even if you look at a guy like Alfred Camino, who looked great in the playoffs um, and could potentially still be reaching another level on offense, um, I don't think that there's any any way that they just solely go lateral. Uh, so a, a slight improvement to about 48 wins is what I'm looking at. Can, can we just all agree that we really need to see Myers, Leonard, Evan Turner, Alan Crabb, CJ McCollum, and Damian Lillard play a bunch of minutes at the same time? That lineup yes, seems cool like it could be that. really, really fun. Yes, please. Yeah. I'm very cool with that. Um, so now the fun part uh, yeah, begins. Yeah, I was going to say things are about Crap's to get about weird. To get messy. <laughs> I still don't know what I think. I think I, think I can confidently throw out a number three. Three-way tie. Some, some, yeah, there you go. Let's just do that. <laughs> Um, I'm going to start with the Timberwolves. Is that crazy to anyone? Give us your explanation first and we'll let you know. Um, I think Carl Anthony Towns might be, (laughs) he might, okay, this, this part might sound crazy. Um, I think he might be the best individual player out of these three teams left, which is, which might come as a surprise to people who have heard of Russell Westbrook. Um, I think Towns is incredible. I think Thibodeau is probably the best coach of the three remaining teams. And uh, I still have I still have some belief in Andrew Wiggins. I think Ricky Rubio is wildly <laughs> underrated. Um, I'm kind of high on Zach Levine. I, I really like Cole Aldrich. There's just there's a lot to like about this team, but what I what I'm going to come back to over and over probably is Tibbs and Towns. Um, I think that alone is going to make them a really good defensive team. And I think this is kind of, this is another riser in this division. I'm going to let Adam go because I'm still trying to figure mine out. <laughs> how, how do we want to do this? Do we want me to reveal my, my number three team? Or are we just talking about the Timberwolves? Uh, no, I, you should probably just reveal it. Go for it, yeah. I think I'm going to stick with the Thunder at third in this division just because Andy is crazy and Russell Westbrook <laughs> is obviously the best player among these three teams. I don't think anybody really realized just how good he was last year. He was better than Durant. Oh, he, very wasn't. Clearly the, he was very yeah, clearly the best player on that team. <sighs> but go ahead. You still, you did you, Adam did say he was going to do edibles before this podcast. So <laughs> Adam did not. Um, but you look up and down this roster, and it's still a veteran-laden team. Well, I guess not really anymore. Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> there is Maybe a lot to like about the Thunder, because I was... Like, I'm pretty torn between them and the T-Wolves for third. I, 
I, like, I that, understand they, that Westbrook is amazing. Um, I'm not sure he helps in as many different areas, and he helps his teammates as much as Towns does. But he helps as a scorer and a passer even more than anything there's, Towns does. Yeah, there's no question he's a better scorer. I don't know if he's always... I, I feel like there are times when his scoring is to the detriment of his team, as as was shown during Durant's absence, what was it, two years ago? Can we just say that we have no idea what the hell is going to happen with any of these three teams and just end the podcast? <laughs> like, is that something we can do? Because so for everybody listening, we, we were recording this over the stretch of two days because I had technical difficulties and I still don't know my order. Like I spent all night thinking about it and I still don't have any idea. Wait, are you guys ready to be really mad too? Are you going to put Denver third? I have Denver third. (laughs) (laughs) I love the Nuggets. I love all three of these teams. Clearly, I really love the Nuggets. My my thing with Denver that may wind up making me look like an idiot is they're still going to be very reliant on these young playmakers uh, in Emmanuel Moutier, who we hope will be better than he was last year. and He he can't be worse. Right. (laughs) And he also... He played really well down the stretch. He found his three-point shot over the last two months of the season. But now you're going to bring in Jamal Murray, uh, assuming that Nate Walters isn't the future of your franchise, as that backup point guard. You so shut your mouth, Dan. But if you look, so yes, you have Murray and Moutier, and, and that's a little bit iffy when they're going to run your offense. But you have so many other guys who can create as sort of these like point wings. When you look at Danilo Gallinari, when you look at Will Barton, Gary Harris is a pretty good facilitator now. Wilson Chandler used to be fairly well with the ball in his hand, and he's like a free agency acquisition. Defense is certainly a concern, and we have to see how Nikola Jokic is going to do as the guaranteed unequivocal starting center for this team. But they have so much depth, way more than the Timberwolves even, or, or even, or even the uh, Thunder. Out of these three teams, I think, can we agree that they're the deepest? Yeah, they have some yeah. positional battles that are hard to figure out. Uh, but, uh, and it's I, not even like one versus another. It's like three guys yeah. competing. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, yeah, and I, that could pose a problem. I believe Mike Malone even said this on Zach Lowe's podcast, is he has a lot to figure out. And one of the biggest questions is, what do you do with Kenneth Reed? He's kind of played like he's kind of, he's kind of paid like a bench player now, but do you start him anyway? But you have so many – they're sort of like the Jazz where you can play in so many different styles, but they have a lot – just a lot more depth. Over, overall, when you look at some of these young guys with high upside and their lineups, when you have Jokic at the five with Gallinari at the four, and you could fill the other three wings out how you like, those are going to be very scary lineups. Mike Malone showed that he could incorporate some post touches with speed last year. I, I love the idea of growth for Harris and Moutier. I love Jamal Murray. I think he'll make an impact. Gallo played like a borderline all-star when he was healthy last year. So I think this team is going to surprise a lot of people who don't really realize how good they are. And I think that depth, more than anything else, will carry them past the Timberwolves, who still are going to have this steep learning curve. They're a 29-win team who didn't change much over the offseason. So we're banking a lot on Tibbs developing young guys, who, of which he's never truly done before. I agree he'll make them better defensively, but who's to say that Levine will be better under him? Uh, who's to say that Chris Dunn, he's a defensive specialist, but who's to say he gets the right amount of growth under Tibbs? So I, I just love the Nuggets, and I really just decided that over the last three minutes. So my, my thing with the Thunder is if you look back at 2014-15 season when Durant only played 27 games, um, the rest of that season, 
the Thunder went 27 and 28 without him. So they were just about a 500 team with Westbrook leading the show. And I don't think it's hard to argue that this team is significantly more talented than that iteration. Yeah, that's Because Steven Adams has broken out. Ennis Cantor has definitely found a, a role that he can thrive in. They've added Ilyasova. They've added Oladipo. Uh, Cameron Payne is a, is a valid backup point guard now. So I, I look at that roster compared to the 2014-15 one, and I don't see any way that they're not going to go at least 500, which is more than I can say about these other really young teams who have the potential to go even higher than the Thunder, I think. Like I, I would say that Denver and Minnesota both have significant, significantly higher ceilings, but the Thunder's floor is so high here that I, I feel like it's the safe pick to, to take them at number three. Is it? Is their floor really that high? What is Their power forward and small forward positions look like they're going to be minuses every night, and that's a lot to make up for. I know you didn't have a Baca for a lot of that 2014-2015 campaign either, but Ersan Ilyasova is a downgrade defensively. Uh, you're going to look at a guy like Roberson who can defend threes, but he wasn't a great shooter when you had Durant and Westbrook on the floor. What's it going to be like without Durant? Is Steven Adams going to have, he developed, he's going to be a defensive stud, so let's get that out of the way, but he developed nicely as a pick-and-roll finisher. He's not going to have a ton of open looks at the rim if, if defenses don't have to worry about Durant. This team should still be good, but I don't necessarily think you look at them and say, well, this iteration is going to be better than the Durantless one two seasons ago. I don't I don't think you're remembering just how decimated by injuries that team was. The only guys on that roster to play more than 50 games were Kendrick Perkins, Serge Ibaka, Nick Collison, Andre Robertson, Russell Westbrook, Stephen Adams, and Anthony Morrow. Okay, which is what, I mean, you pretty much have that this year, but you're taking out Ibaka from that. I didn't even realize he played that much. We don't know how Victor Oladipo is going to do next to Westbrook because he always struggled with Peyton. I love Cameron Payne. Maybe he should be fine, but where, like, your small forward position you have Roberson, you have Kyle Stingler. Like these aren't going to be, you're yeah. not going to be a plus at the three or four every night. On most nights, you're going to probably be a minus. And I think you can you, be at the four. I mean, you're placing a, I mean, do you love Sabonis and Collison and Ilyasova? Do you like seeing Cantor at the four? I just, maybe long term. I kind of do I like, like seeing Cantor at the four on this team. Uh, um, that's a disaster. Come on. <laughs> And I do, I do like Sabonis, and I think Mitch McGarry can contribute this year as well. Plus, they got just got Lavernier from the Nuggets. I thought they were. I think, I'm pretty sure I don't McGarry's going to be cut, right? It's, no, I have no idea. It's okay. probably a minus most nights, but I don't think it's going to be every night. And the plus at the point guard is is a bigger plus than anything any of the other three teams we're talking about has. Um, okay, but so, so look at this in the aggregate. Russell Westbrook is going to win his positional battle. Every night, 98% of the time or more. What other position can you say is going to win that battle more than half the time? I'm not even sure you could say that about Steven Adams, who's going to be great. Maybe he'll match up well with certain guys. But can you say he is going to be better than his opponent on more than half of the nights? Let's just say within the Northwest Division, even. Uh, I would still say no. Yeah. Hey, let's play the same game with the I, other I'm teams. with you. Okay. I think here's here's where it's most dangerous to me for the Nuggets is that you can't single out any single position as that one nightly dominant slot, but you can say they're going to get so much production from all these different guys on different nights that their any of their positions can win a battle on any given night against pretty much any given team, which is it's uncertainty, but it, but it's also definitive upside, which you can't say about the Thunder. You so can't in other say words, that about the Timberwolves. In other words, you agree with me that they have a higher ceiling and the Thunder have the higher floor. 
No, I don't agree that the I, Thunder have the higher floor at all. I think I'm with Adam on that point. Like I, I, I see the sliding scale of wins for both the Timberwolves and the Nuggets to be pretty large, whereas the Thunder are, when I look at that roster, I just see a 500 team. Because I, I can't see them falling too far below that with Russell Westbrook. And then all the issues that we pointed out, it's, it's hard to see them going much higher. So I'm actually with Adam on that side of the debate. Because I, 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 as good as, or as much as I like the talent uh, from the Timberwolves and the Nuggets, it's still, like we've said a few times already, like largely unproven. So I could see it being like anywhere from 35 to 45 for those guys. So before I change my mind again, I think I'm going to go with the Thunder at 44, the Timberwolves at 43, and the Nuggets at 42. <laughs> with all of them having the potential to win at least 50. I, I think would... I'm going to go Nuggets 44. <laughs> We're all going to do 44, 43, 42. Thunder is going to be 42, 43. Timberwolves are going to be 40, 41. Okay, I'll say Timberwolves. I'll say Timberwolves 42, um, Thunder 41, and Nuggets 40. So I'm glad we can all agree to not agree on anything. Yeah. Well, At least we all had them within like a five-win window, though. I think it's interesting that in a vacuum, you should probably just be able to pick the Thunder at three. But it's, it's so interesting to me that you can make cases for both the Timberwolves and even the Nuggets as being better than them. Like, I just find that – I like, going into this podcast, I, I didn't really appreciate how lumped together the bottom half yeah, of this either. division was. And I think most people are just going to reflexively say the Thunder because of Westbrook. But the Nuggets and the Timberwolves will probably make things very interesting. I'm a little bit lower on the Timberwolves as I think about them more, just because I think we're banking on too much growth for them. Because if they get to 40 wins, that's an 11-win jump. Yeah. Without making any huge additions. Like, they got Cole Aldridge and Chris Dunn. I think Dunn, the obviously. difference between Sam Mitchell and Tom Thibodeau is massive. So, how many wins would any of these three teams need before you're like, what in the world just happened? Because for me, I could see, like, if everything goes right and the Timberwolves won, like, 55 games, you know, Tib is just a defensive mastermind. Towns breaks out into the best center in the league, which he's pretty close to already. Levine plays defense. Wiggins puts it all together. If everything goes right, I think I could sit back and look at, like, a 55-win Minnesota team and be like, yeah, not that surprised. 55 would shock me for the Timberwolves with how young they are still. That would probably be the number um, if I'm answering your question, like what would make me go holy cow? I'd be pretty surprised by that. I think I would also be around there, maybe a little bit lower for the Nuggets. Um, if the, the Nuggets the got nuggets, to 50, I'd be pretty surprised. Yeah, I, th- I think if the Timberwolves even got to 50, it would surprise me. I think they're, uh, the Nuggets and the Timberwolves are right there. I could theoretically see... Russell Westbrook going off and per- perhaps the Thunder have that little bit of higher ceiling to where if they got to 50 and a little bit more, you wouldn't be shocked. But again, it feels like all those teams are sort of in the same area. I have a question about uh, Westbrook. It, do, are any of you confident that he comes back after this one year, basically a one year extension that he signed? Like what if, what if they are just bad? I don't think they're going to be, it's not going to be, we're in for the same or mediocre. Type of, we're, I think we're in for the same type of dilemma we were this summer, next year, only they won't be able to give him that extension. Like, they bought themselves this season to where they don't 
have to trade Westbrook in essence. And I don't think the Thunder are going to be that great where Westbrook is going to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to resign after next season when I opt out. Maybe things can change in free agency. That's probably the bigger audition for them because I don't see this Thunder team being a 50-plus win team, which is probably what it takes to really get Westbrook committed before he, again, reaches free agency. So if you go in to the offseason, you're able to get a guy like Blake Griffin or you're, you're able to court some of these bigger names. Maybe that gets you uh, some confidence, but short of the Thunder really exploding and going for 55 or making the playoffs and making a deep run, I don't think that they're going to get any sort of certainty with Westbrook's future from the upcoming season. I totally agree. And I don't think there's really any scenario that leads to like a free agency disaster where they know they're going to lose him because unless he gets hurt, this is a team that's going to win at least like 38, 39, 40 games. And if he gets hurt, then they have that built in excuse where we would have been better if you were on the court. So I don't think there's any conceivable scenario where he looks at this roster and is like, I can't win with these guys and wants to leave. So you think you're pretty confident he'll come back after he opts out then? No, I, I'm very confident in not having any confidence. Okay. Okay, cool. What about you, Beth? <laughs> yeah, I'm not very confident either. I, everybody celebrated it as – they talked about it as a three-year extension. Um, what it really is in reality is just one year beyond right. beyond what he was already under. So he can get the super 10-year veteran max. And I think those, those hometown teams like the Lakers or maybe another – I mean, we've overestimated big markets a few times in the last few years, but if there's if there was ever a player like fashion icon Russell Westbrook who might be into a big market, um, he's the guy. Like I, I think being from the the being from L.A. and seeing what they have coming up could be intriguing to him. Playing in New York with like everything that he's conscious and aware of could be intriguing to him. Um, I, I think they would have to make some kind of splashy move like adding Blake Griffin, like Dan Favalli talked about. I don't know why I just said your last name, but um, yeah, that, I mean, to me, that's, I would not be very confident um, that he's coming back. Could either of you see a scenario? I guess it would just have to be if the Thunder were bad, but this extension, once he's eligible to be traded, makes Westbrook a more attractive trade ship because now if you get him, let's say at the deadline next year, you have that half season, but then you have an entire other year. So you've gotten these 18 months to sell him on a future uh, in your city. So if the Thunder aren't even you know, good or great, is this some sort of maybe a calculated move on their part as well? Because we kept talking about even the press conference with Westbrook, like, I knew this is where I wanted to be, so why wait? Like, you delayed your free agency a year. That doesn't seem to be this huge commitment yeah like i don't think it's this game-changing play to me it, it makes it more likely that they could command a king's ransom in a trade for him that's so I, I think point. that would be something to monitor because if this division is as deep as we think it is and if we agree that there's the potential for the thunder to finish fourth or fifth in it they're gonna know that by the middle of next season and, and maybe that's a route they explore then I would bet on Durant opting out from Golden State and re-signing with the Thunder before the Thunder trade Westbrook. Really? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's something that they might have considered, though. Like Dan said, like maybe the front office thought How? about that. Maybe maybe we're more likely to coax 
a lot of those assets from Boston than we would have been without this. But there's such a big difference between what? thinking about it and actually doing it. Yeah, that's it. Well, for I'm sure. Cur- I'm curious why you feel that way, Adam, because to me, this is a team, even if we're looking at toward next summer, you can't lose Westbrook for nothing the way you lost Durant for nothing. You just, you can't. I don't think this is a market that can survive losing Durant in free agency and then trading away Westbrook for a bunch of picks and young guys that don't have star power. That's it that's would, basically why. It would really I hurt them, I them in the short term, they can that's afford, for sure. Yeah, I think that they will do everything in their power, even if it means waiting until a free agency period and going all out for Westbrook to avoid losing him. That's interesting. I don't think, unless they're sure that they're going to resign him, if like if it's if it's a Durant situation where they're truly not sure, like maybe they're confident but they're not sure, I I would be shocked if they let it get that far. You can't lose two top five superstars within three years of each other for nothing. It just it you can't justify it. Um, I think the only thing his extension really did was improve the likelihood that Chris Paul signs with the Spurs next summer. That's all I got from this extension. <laughs> First wow. time I've heard that take. Yeah. But, I mean, the Spurs are going to need a point guard. They're going to have cap space. The Spurs Laugh are at me unfair. now. It's the gonna, Spurs are unfair, yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll write this one down. I think, yeah, so. yeah, that pretty much wraps up the Northwest, right? Yeah, I think Which, we should try and go over our orders if we can even remember them. Yeah, I've, all right. I've got Utah at 50, uh, Portland at 48, uh, Minnesota at 42, OKC at 41, and uh, Denver at 40. I have the Jazz at, let's say, 50, 52, the Blazers at 47, the Nuggets at 44, the Thunder at 43, and the Timberwolves at 40 or 41. I go back and forth there. I've got Utah at 52, Portland at 48, Oklahoma City at 44, Minnesota at 43, and Denver at 42. I think I'm going to be right, pretty sure. Did you say you think you're going to be right? Is that what you said? (laughs) (laughs) Very confident about this division. I can say with... 12% 12% certainty that I'm going to have the most accurate projections of the podcast. This is the first time it's like devolved into this. Imagine if we're just, we're, we're all three of us are just completely wrong. The yeah. Timberwolves win the division. <laughs> Portland finishes last. That's, I mean, this division is crazy. It could go a lot of different ways. Yeah. But I think we beat it to death, <laughs> which means that it's time for. Yes, that's right. It's another edition of another edition of Burns My Bacon, and Andy Bailey is holding the talking smoke flavored pork stick. Yes, I am. And today, my beef is with the NFL, which we have had beef no. with in the past. Yeah, um, I'm I'm very much over the NFL's. I don't know what to call it. Like the the sacredness with which they. Um, hold their logo or their uniforms 
in esteem. It's just so weird to me. We I think we had a burning bacon. I think it was last year about D'Angelo Williams not being allowed to wear pink uh, for breast cancer awareness because his mother was suffering with the disease and the NFL shut that down. Seemed like even a, though they used her in marketing. Yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> and now Avery Williamson, a linebacker for the Tennessee Titans, had some cleats that he wanted to wear this Sunday, which happens to be the 15th anniversary of 9-11. They're just they're red, white, and blue cleats. On one of them, it says never forget. On the other one, it has the date 9-11-01. Um, the NFL's not letting him wear them, which is is bizarre to me, especially since, and I don't know the background behind this, but SportsCenter tweeted out yesterday pictures of cleats that Odell Beckham and Victor Cruz were going to wear in games, and they're all red, white, and blue. Um, Cruz's is basically just the flag. Beckham's is the flag plus some eagles on the back, some bald eagles. So what? I don't understand what is the difference. Is it the fact that Williamson's has letters on it? And, and why would the NFL... <laughs> make that distinction it's so strange to me why don't not just let players, these guys have a like a shred of self-expression and don't they or maybe i'm wrong don't players write stuff on their eye black too they Isn't had that to, allowed? Uh, i think they i think they outlawed that fairly oh, okay. recently because tim tim tebow maybe i can't remember if this was in college or in the nfl but at some point he had to stop putting the bible verses on his eye black so the reason the NFL isn't letting him is because the color scheme of the shoes does not mix with the color scheme of the Titans. So, so are Beckham, the Giants Beckham's and... does. Oh, so, wow, that's ridiculous. Yes, and <laughs> it's even more ridiculous because the NFL shouldn't care what anyone does during a Titans game because no one is watching. <laughs> Whoa. <a> good, uh... <laughs> are you a Titans fan, Dan? I actually do know a Titans fan in Wyoming, oddly enough. Yeah, I do too. But man, that is that's I was, so stupid. I was, a, I was a Titans fan when they had Frank Wycheck. I don't remember him. No, okay. Eddie George. Um, yeah, Eddie George. Uh, Steve McNair. It was a good good era for them. But it, it's all just so stupid. Like it, <laughs> it's really just like, why do your cleats have to match the color scheme of, of the uniform? It's just, what is that going to do? This whole like conformity thing in the NFL is. It's just so archaic and, and stupid. And here's the thing that I still don't understand is that the NFL is unstoppably, ignorantly stupid. You have to see they keep taking these pointless PR hits because people are seeing stories like this or the D'Angelo Williams thing, and they're like, WTF. I don't know if that speaks to how much power the NFL has that they can do this without any disregard for public perception because they know everyone's coming back. But just think about, this is a league that could use some good PR. So if they start to let these things go or if they start to legalize them, if we want to call it that, it helps. Why keep putting yourself through what amounts to a public relations issue that can't help you, it only hurts you, and you have nothing to gain by championing this battle? How weak is your shield if it can be damaged by a pair of cleats that are the wrong color? Yeah. They probably run counter to it where our shield is so strong that we don't have to care yeah. whether that's something minor like that To go. Dan's point, I wonder if they – like is it just arrogance? They don't even pay attention or 
they just know that they're that powerful, that they're not going to lose any fans. Obviously, I'm going to watch a bunch of NFL on Sunday. This hasn't gotten me that <laughs> upset. And every, I mean, everybody who is complaining about the headshots to Cam Newton is going to watch Sunday. I, I yep. just well, and that's probably it. Is that they know that you know they're above reproach, pretty much. Like yeah. people are going to say these things, and there will be a, fr- a few altruistic detractors who won't watch. Uh, and we saw that movement kind of gain steam like two years ago. It seems like it's sort of petered out by now. But in the aggregate, they're going to win out with fans pretty much 95% of the time. But it just seems like you could technically, to me, at least from where I'm standing, you can make your shield stronger or you can gain more approval from fans if you allow stuff yeah, like this. That's like, what how is I there feel, to, too. There's no you loss. You have nothing to lose, but yeah. you also have some stuff to gain. Yeah, that's I'm with you there. I don't, I don't understand what they think is going to negatively happen if he wears the shoes. It's very weird. Um, but that will wrap us up. For today's episode, um, a confusing preview of the Northwest Division for us. And maybe you guys are as confused as we are. Um, if not, you want to send us your thoughts on the Northwest, you can do that on Twitter. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. Adam is at Frommel09, F-R-O-M-A-L-09. Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. And the show is at Hardwood Knox. As always, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on Stitcher, follow us on Blog Talk Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate that. And uh, until next time, we leave you with a shout-out to Bino Udry. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. (laughs) In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.